Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Let's get right to it. So Dave, a report from the Committee for a Responsible Budget says that the $3.5 trillion social infrastructure bill now before Congress calls for several of its most expensive programs, such as the Medicare expansion, to lapse after three years. And everybody knows that such programs, once they're enacted, they're politically untouchable and will be made permanent. So they project that the actual cost of the bill is probably north of $5 trillion. Do you think we should be more honest about the price tag of this bill? And what do you think the final price tag will be that Mansion Cinema, who's, you know, they're meeting with Biden this week to discuss, are finally going to approve? Well, I would say a couple of things. First of all, this is typical Washington fiscal chicanery, right, where tax cuts are going to be only temporary because they can only last a certain number of years through reconciliation. And that's one of the things I don't like about reconciliation is it gives Congress an excuse to uh, say, oh, things have to end. Then, of course, they always find a way to extend them. So, yes, to answer your question, I don't think that uh, that it would end. But the good news is that I don't think it's going to become law because I think that Manchin has decided and notice he, he was very vague in terms of what he would accept. So I think it'll probably be somewhere in the uh, one to two to two trillion dollar range. And I think uh, a lot of these tax increases they're talking about are not going to go through. And again, but I just want to say one other thing, and this just gets back to what I'm talking about before about Democrat incompetence, because Biden needs a win more than ever in his presidency, right? The Senate has passed, but with 19 Republican votes, an infrastructure bill that everybody wants. And yet the squad and all these other people and Bernie Sanders are saying, well, we are not going to get this infrastructure bill unless we get our three and a half trillion dollar bill. You know, it reminds me of the Bernie Sanders voters in the primary who voted for Trump in the general election in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin and gave Trump the election. It's like, well, if we can't do it our way, we'll just kill ourselves and you take over. It's just so, so frustrating. But in short, I think the bill will be much less damaging. And uh, this is where Joe Manchin is a good guy to have around. Yeah. I hope you're right, Dave. Your lips to God's ears. <laughs> All right, let's move to our next topic. Let's talk about the uh, the move by some Republicans in the Senate. They're considering some companion bills to some House antitrust bills that were sponsored by Democrats and narrowly passed out of the House Judiciary Committee this summer. In practice, these bills will not stop the censorship of conservatives' online speech. And in fact, they will further expand government's reach. So a lot of conservatives, they are instinctively supportive of antitrust regulation uh, against big tech because they're upset about unequal treatment of content. Yet none of these antitrust congressional bills comes even close to addressing their concerns around censorship. They could actually spark even greater censorship or put up more obstacles toward placing diverse viewpoints in front of large audiences. Do you think these conservatives are rushing too fast to embrace the policies of people like Elizabeth Warren and in the process are going to hurt free enterprise? And they're audiences they're trying to reach in the process. Well, let me just start by saying one thing. You know which company has the largest lobbying organization of any corporation in the entire U.S. and D.C.? Facebook. So, Ooh, I didn't know that. so unfortunately, both sides are guilty on this. So what, what I think is happening is you're having a, well, let's pretend like we're doing something, but we're not going to really do anything. Now, you and I agree on the fact that I've said this. I always felt growing up around liberals, that one thing that they cherished was free speech, even if they didn't agree with what you were saying. And so I'm really shocked that most of the uh, 
censorship efforts or have come from the left. That's something I thought I would never see. But having said that, big tech is an equal opportunity uh, distributor, shall we say. So I am, I would love to be optimistic. And you know, I'm a very optimistic person. I'm a glasses half full guy. But unfortunately, I think this is uh, an example of what you're going to see. There's, I don't see how the walk is ever going to increase the talk. And you know, you keep hearing stories about Facebook. The latest one is that their top users are exempted from these rules they have, and rules, by the way, that are conducted by some secret panel that's totally subjective. The problem is no one ever envisioned these companies being so big. You know, and it's not like a company dear to my heart, Standard Oil, where you can break it up and it's very easy to comprehend and define. So much of this stuff, uh, no one in Congress has any clue as to how it works. Well, you're right. It's a very complicated topic. So much more to say on this. Let's come back to that in another episode. But for now, let's move to our last topic, your home state, California. So Republican Larry Elder conceded he did not try to drag the process out uh, to Governor Gavin Newsom, who kept his seat. Elder said, we may have lost the battle, but we sure as hell going to win the war. The GOP of California reports that a more than 71% increase in the number of volunteers because of the election, and they made 18 million voter contacts for this go-round compared to 15 million in 2020, uh, with arguably typically is much bigger election year every four years. So what's next for the California GOP now that Governor Newsom has kept his seat? And do you think that the scare for Newsom, um, you know, showing polls showed that he was at serious risk this summer to lose his seat. Do you think this is going to force Democrats to pay attention to issues that Republicans care about? Let's talk about that first. Well, uh, yeah, I would say, first of all, scared means that the polls, his internal polls showed it under 10 percent. You heard from me way back that I, that I thought he was going to win this, possibly with a greater margin than he did when he was elected governor. And that was 24 percent. Looks like he won this one by 30 and so, um, you know, my hope and my advice to our governor would be his main problem is his demeanor and his unforced errors. Some of the stuff that he's trying to do on climate change and housing is actually, if you look at it, is pretty good stuff. OK, I know California has a lot of problems, but I always say last five years, we've had a 21 percent increase in GDP, Texas, 12 percent. People are not leaving here because of taxes. They're leaving here because of expenses. Had to be tangential for a second. But to get back to Larry Elder, you know, I, I'm glad that he conceded gracefully because if you looked at his website 36 hours before the election, he was talking about the election being rigged before it even happened. Hmm, God, that sounds familiar. Can't remember who else started that. But in any case, my advice to the GOP in California, you know, you can make all the contacts you want. You can raise all the money you want. But you're on the 25 to 30 percent of all the issues where Democrats and Californians are on the 60 to 70 percent side. You know, whether it's vaccine mandates, whether it's masks, whether it's abortion, all this stuff. So, you know, the problem in California with the Republican Party is not the candidates, though I think Kevin Kiley would have been fine. I voted for him. I voted against the recall, but I voted for Kevin Kiley. But, you know, you got to get opinions and positions and candidates that people want to vote for and that people will embrace. So that's the California, and this is true nationally. Look at Ron DeSantis in Florida. He's playing to the 25 to 30%. And I just don't think that's a long time viable strategy. 
Well, there's so many other problems that California has. I mean, the housing, I thought Larry Elder had a really great housing solution, which is you've got to increase the supply and the regulations in California are a huge part of why you don't have more housing supply. And Larry Elder and the other Republicans like Kevin Falconer, the former San Diego mayor, who I, I, I like him, I'm a fan of him as well. But uh, there's the housing issue, uh, the wildfires, the poor management of, of wildfires, um, homelessness, and there's so many problems. I think that's why you had uh, enough people to even sign the recall petition, because there's so many issues. And it, I agree with you, it came down to some of these very wedge issues. And the Republicans should have done more about focusing on things that are, you're right, more universal problems. Well, I think also, first of all, it, it, you only need one and a half million signatures to get a recall out of 40 million Still a people. lot of signatures. That, that's not that yeah, but Out of 40 million people, it's not that many. And I've, and I've said before, and by the way, I said this about Scott Walker too, I hate the way recalls are being used. Recalls are for crimes against the state. Recalls are for criminal behavior. They are not for policy or political disagreements. That's why we have elections. And when Scott Walker went after the unions, okay, you may not agree with him, vote him out. But you don't recall people just because you don't agree with them. You know, that gets back to this not respecting the outcome of election things, which, <laughs> which is- Yeah, but, but, but at the same time, the, uh, but the rules for a, a recall are set out by, you know, duly elected officials who create it. So- And they're bad rules. The voice of the and they, they should be changed. And it's, let me make a comment on the housing. The number one problem California faces, and this is finally they're making progress on this, is zoning. There is way too many areas that are actually near public transportation that don't allow for multi-house zoning. And there's, that's inexcusable. And the Democrats have been in the pockets of developers and they've blocked it. But this is something that's finally getting some traction under Newsom. And the bottom line is there is no stronger linear relationship between affordable housing or lack thereof and homelessness. The same thing happened in Seattle. You go to the north part of town, it used to be like the south of market in San Francisco, where there was all kinds of affordable housing. Now it's been swallowed up by Amazon towers and luxury high rises. There's just no place for any of these people to live. Mm. Last question on this. Uh, you look at the projections from 538. So Nate Silver said that he projected there was, quote, a pretty decent chance Newsom gets recalled. Now, considering his track record on 2016 and other elections and races since then, do you think Nate Silver, why does he still have a job? What do you make of this? Well, I, I think it's kind of like a lot of coaches in sports where they're the same, but the rules of the game, like Al Davis, I'm a Raiders fan. He was great through the mid 80s and then the game just passed him by. He didn't understand how it worked. And, and I think that's the problem with Nate Silver. I'm a big fan of the guy. I listen to the 538 podcast. But the problem is that people just don't respond to polls in the same way that, that they used to. And I think particularly in this tribal polarized area, a lot of people don't want to tell someone for whom they're going to vote. And so it's much harder to get accurate information. And I must admit, though, this recall to me was a total no brainer. I thought the only time that uh, Newsom was ever scared or you heard think about it, it was when he was making unforced errors. I didn't think the fundamental race or the fundamentals of the race changed. And by the way, he, whether you agree or not, really defined the playbook that could work for the Democrats in 22. And that is Trump is no longer around, but Trumpism is alive and well, and it's affecting the Republican Party. Now, you may not agree with that, 
but it, it's an effective slogan and it did get a lot of people to come out and vote at the end. Obviously, uh, unrelated events like the Texas abortion law and all that certainly helped motivate a lot of liberals. But in the end, I thought it was always going to be 15 to 20 points. Well, you called it. Uh, but, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see. My hope, again, is that the governor will not think about being president because he's not going to be president. Ironically, if, if Trump had been reelected, he would have been perfectly positioned, right? Because then he would be in a, halfway through his second term in 24. But now there's a Democrat in office. The pendulum swings back and forth. Plus, you have Kamala, who you and I agree is a rather mediocre politician, uh, but she is there, so they, they, they can't dump her. Let's face it, they say there are 10 reasons you pick a vice president, right? The first is to help you win, the other nine don't matter. So who's going to pick mm -hmm. a white guy from California as a vice presidential candidate, right? So Especially I think we, one with a lot of privilege, exactly, uh, as, as the jury exactly. puts, points out. And so I think that the, uh, that the so much of being president is timing, right? So that he had the good timing if Trump had been elected, now he doesn't. Plus, there's been a lot of unforced errors. So my advice to him is focus on being a good governor. Stop looking at higher office. And uh, because, you know, you're a, you're a guy who can really do some great things and you can end up being a really good governor. So focus on that. You have five years. All right. We'll leave her right there. Thank you, Dave. Excellent. Well, that wraps up another episode of Practical Political. Thanks so much for joining us. And make sure to follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your social media news. We will see you next time.